There is now an Australian political party called the Science Party. I think it's an awesome name. I had to talk to Luke James, who's the Victorian candidate for the party. We talked about nuclear power, renewable energy, the concept of an Australian space program, negative gearing, and the capital gains tax discount. Enjoy. First on the agenda is nuclear power. Now, I listened to your interview on Triple R, and the the guy who was interviewing you was saying that, well, the Science Party is pro-nuclear power, um, and that was in relation to fission and fusion, fusion, which are the two types of reactions in which you can yep. generate nuclear power. And um, he said to you, how do you justify that position uh, relative to renewables and the success there? Um, I heard that, and I wanted to give you like a, a bit of a more of an opportunity to explain um, energy and why the Science Party sort of takes that stance on nuclear power. Certainly. Well, um, yeah, so there's there's two responses to that that I'd really like to give, I suppose. The first is that as we are a, a scientific and evidence-based uh, organisation, you know, we don't want to discount something that certainly works. I mean, you can look at a lot of places in the world where fission is a very functional and competitive technology, so to discount it entirely on what seems to be the ideological response for a lot of people that, oh, nuclear is bad and uh, it, it creates this waste that uh, everyone's worried about is, is just, you know, it's the exact kind of thing that we want to avoid. It's the exact kind of thing that a lot of the other parties do. And second of all, you know, we as a uh, scientific party, uh, we would like to both encourage research into fission and diffusion technology because uh, both can be uh, excellent things for Australia. I see. And um, what do you think about renewable energies? Um, and do you, do you agree um, on his statement about renewables being so successful? I was actually just about to bring that up myself. So, in relation to renewables, there's renewables. Yes, have come a huge way, and I don't know the exact figures myself, but I believe he made a couple of comments about the fact that renewables are now competitive uh, as on a cost level to nuclear and coal, which I think they're certainly getting to be. But uh, there's still not. There's still other inherent issues with renewable technology. So with a renewable system, unless you build a system for tremendous redundancy, there's going to be downtime in your production and you need something else to fill that gap. So is that going to be more coal or is that going to be another option like nuclear? It's, it's not definitely going to be nuclear, but I think we should certainly be considering alternatives to coal as the uh, backup system. I see. And just to be um, open about it, I actually completely agree with that. Um, I remember uh, a few years ago, I, w- I had a physics class. Uh, I'm a physics teacher, and we we um figured out how much uh, power uh, a power station was producing in one of the power stations in Victoria, and we also um, looked up the numbers about how much power some of the wind turbines down your Warrnambool were producing, and we we're trying to calculate how many wind turbines you need to replace that power s- power station, and I think it was in the tens of thousands. Making all that infrastructure takes a lot of energy, and that energy um, well, it's going to come from coal. 
And me personally, I sort of worry about um, if we're going to create all this infrastructure, what sort of damage will all this infrastructure, in, in making all this infrastructure, what sort of damage would that do to the environment? Um, yeah. So w- would you agree that there's there's pros and cons of nuclear power, but the sort of the pros outweigh the cons? Uh, yes, I would say that every single energy solution has its advantages and disadvantages. So part of coming up with an energy solution for a nation like Australia is working with the strengths and weaknesses of each one. So one technology alone is probably not going to be the uh, best outcome. I see. And what do you think um, are some of the the problems with, say, some of the some of the most popular renewable energies? Let's start off with wind. Well, it's my understanding that, well, there's a couple of big issues with wind. One is the, uh, the I suppose, uh, the, the issue that a lot of people have with the number of birds that they kill, which to me is not a significant reason to discount the technology. And I believe that there are some new turbines on the horizon that will avoid that issue. But then the, uh, the larger issue with wind is that uh, to produce these wind turbines requires a large amount of neodymium, which of course is a rare earth, uh, and neodymium does not occur in large deposits. So in order to get the neodymium to satisfy the demand for more wind turbines, neodymium usually requires strip mining, which is its own environmental issue. So uh, while they're a good option for some areas where they're very high yield, they certainly have their issues as well. Yeah, um, I did read about the bird killings, and um, I actually know someone who was an electrician um, on a wind turbine farm, and she told me that you'd just walk around the base of a wind turbine, there'd be dead birds everywhere. But, you know, um, I, I'm pretty open to wind, and I think it, it has a place, just like all the others. Um, how about How about solar? Well, solar has... I suppose also two main issues. One is, again, an environmental concern with the fact that solar farms require a large amount of space, which means land clearing. Uh, The fact is solar farms need to be placed in specific locations where they're going to be best able to take advantage of direct sunlight for as much of the year as possible, which often means placing them in areas which uh, are more costly environmentally to actually clear out and then install the farms. And then again, uh, solar panels have their own rare earth, which they use most. Uh, I think all of the newer generation of solar panels use tellurium, which uh, is another rare earth. But tellurium only occurs from, uh, it only occurs in abundance from the uh, refining of copper, which, you know, at the moment, yeah, there's enough copper byproduct of tellurium to satisfy the demand for solar power. But as they scale up, they will dwarf that. So we come into this other issue that uh, what are we going to be mining and refining copper just to produce tellurium because that's going to drastically increase the environmental cost of each solar panel compared to when you just get that tellurium from the natural byproduct of the copper we would be refining anyway. Wow, yeah, it sounds like when you're actually trying to do something, um, it becomes more complex than it first sounds. Um, I guess there's also the issue of the batteries, right? Um, I mean, when the sun's not shining... Solar's not producing energy. That's correct. Both wind and solar have this additional issue that they require 
complex storage solutions because neither of them produce all the time. So in order to satisfy ongoing demand, you need to be able to produce extra when you don't need it and then store it when you do. And so that, again, has its own problems. And fortunately, companies like Tesla are making a lot of progress there. But, uh, you know, it's still a large additional cost in the production of these systems. Very true. Okay, Luke. So one last thing on nuclear power before we go on to our next topic. I just want to go through the, the pros and the cons of nuclear power. And I thought we could start off with the cons first. So what do you think some of the, the cons about nuclear power is? Okay, so the uh, con that probably jumps, jumps to most people's minds when they think about nuclear power is uh, the radiation, which can be a scary thing. I mean, a lot of people uh, remember what happened in previous nuclear disasters, such as Chernobyl, Fukushima, Three Mile Island, and some people still remember what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So there are events, you know, very uh, significant events in human history that make nuclear power very concerning to a lot of people. But uh, all of these incidents share, I mean, all of the power plant incidents share common features in that they all are now what would be considered basically a redundant technology in, uh, or sorry, now obsolete technology for nuclear power. I mean, Fukushima was uh, built in the, it was started construction in the 50s, I believe. Obviously, the uh, safety systems would have been upgraded over that time. The buildings themselves were very much, um, you know, they, they just weren't the kind, they weren't constructed using modern technology and techniques to make sure that it was as safe as possible. Most nations that use nuclear power have been doing so for quite some time very safely. Uh, and the other concern is not so much with uh, critical meltdown, but is more uh, just general radiation from a day-to-day -day basis. But when you actually look into it and um, the amount of radiation that you get from, say, living near a nuclear plant, you actually get more radiation from uh, eating a banana than you do from living next to a, radiation, uh, a nuclear plant for a year. So it's not really the thing that most people think Yeah, it is. I guess there is also the issue of what, what you do with the nuclear waste. That's the other big one, is what do you do with the nuclear waste? And it's certainly a concerning issue uh, because the nuclear waste does take thousands of years to deplete and can be costly to treat that nuclear waste as well. Australia itself has had to send quite a bit of it over to France and then bring it back. And, you know, you have to construct very specialized facilities to store this waste. And paying to have it treated is quite expensive as well, as I understand it. But when you consider how much is actually produced, it's certainly not the environmental concern that the day-to-day uh, -day air pollution from coal plants are. Yeah. Just before we go into the, pro the pros of nuclear power, I just want to sort of just think about how much power we actually need to produce. I was just looking at the numbers of people on Earth. And at the moment, I think there was something, it's, there's something like 7.4 billion. But I was also looking up the rate of population increase. And I saw estimates all the way from 70 uh, million per year to 80 million per year. And that, that's, that's a lot of people. That's about 200,000 people per day. Um, if you want to get an idea of how many people are being added to the earth, go for a sprint, feel the rate of, of which your heart, if it's, a, if it's about 140 BPM, that's the rate 
at which people are being um, introduced into the earth. And that's after you take away the people that are dying. So there's clearly a demand for gigantic amounts of electricity and burning coal on that sort of scale. I worry about that. Um, anyway, let's let's move on to the the pros of nuclear power. So, what would you th- what do you think the biggest pro of nuclear power is? So I would say the biggest pro of nuclear power is the the very large amount of electricity produced by nuclear power for the relatively low input and uh, waste that is produced by it. So it's a consistent power. It can produce the amount of power that you require all day, all year, as long as you have the radioactive materials to feed it with. Right. I, I actually, I had a look at all of the pros of nuclear power and I number one on my list was um, the air quality um, because it doesn't produce so much carbon dioxide and particulate matter into the air I thought that would be the best um, I, and NASA did a study on nuclear power and found that it actually causes the le- least deaths per energy unit produced out of all the types of power generation yes um, I read something similar myself Okay, um, we might leave nuclear power there and energy in general. Um, I thought we'd, we'd move on to the space program. And when I looked up the Science Party online, this, this was one of the things that sort of jumped out to me. And I guess I started thinking along the lines that many Australians, I think, would have as well. And that would be, is why would we be putting money into a space program when clearly there are, like, for example, hospitals that need money? So, um, could you please, uh, yeah, answer that question? Certainly. Well, this is one that we get quite a bit, actually. There's often questions about our space policy, why Australia should have a space program. Um, And I guess when you consider it at face value like that, it's easy to think, well, there's other things, more immediate concerns that we can spend the money on uh, that could do more good today. But when you put it into the context of, a nation and the decades and decades that a nation is, well, then the centuries that a nation would hope to exist for, it, it's a very profitable venture. So a good comparison, that, you know, the obvious comparison is with NASA. So NASA has produced many technologies that we all use on a day-to-day basis, and that is thanks to the input of uh, government money that has allowed NASA to do this research, which even though the research doesn't have any they don't need to define it. The point of it is that they don't have to define it by it's going to turn this profit in this many years. But these technologies have been invaluable to the whole human race. Right. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I guess generally they advance science, right? That's correct, yeah. So tremendous advances in science and tremendous advances in the technologies that we get to use in our day-to-day lives. So these hospitals and schools that many people would say, why don't we spend the money on these instead? You'd be hard-pressed to find one of them that isn't using technology developed by NASA to make people's lives better directly. Yeah, and I guess an MRI machine was produced by science and hospitals benefited from that. That's exactly right. Okay, um, did you want to say anything else about the space program? Yes, um, so the other main point, I guess, that is important to make about the space program is that a lot of people, when they hear the space program, they think launching our own rockets, you know, trying to, be, trying to beat everybody off to Mars or something like that. But 
that's not what a space program needs to be. A space program can be a cooperative effort and is in most places in the world. So it, it's, more, it's not necessarily about making our own rockets and getting our own people into, the, uh, into outer space. It's about participating in this global venture that many other nations and many other nations like Australia are very much involved in. Very good answer. And I'd, I would like to see humanity progress myself and work together and explore this universe. Um, the last thing I want to talk to you about is a very juicy topic indeed. Um, and it's been in the media a lot lately. And apparently it's a pretty big election topic. And it's about negative gearing and the capital gains discount. And I want to ask you what the Science Party view of negative gearing and the capital gains discount is and um, what do they want to do about it? Sure, well, I can tell you straight up that we're against both negative gearing and the capital gains tax discount. Uh, we we're very firmly believe that uh, both of these, um, well, both of these economic tools uh, have been contributing very heavily to the huge housing bubble that Australians are experiencing right now that's making it very difficult for the Australians to be able to buy their own home for their personal use. Uh, when you look back at the, uh, the increase in the cost of housing in Australia, there's a small increase when negative gearing was introduced, but then when the capital gains tax discount was introduced, that's when the investment property market just exploded in Australia, and ever since, it's been climbing higher and higher. Yeah, I've seen those graphs too. Um, so you, you think there's a, a big bubble in the Australian property market? I think so, yes. I mean, the when you look at the available housing in Australia, I mean, here in, in Melbourne, where I myself live, there's an estimated five to 6,000 empty apartments. Uh, you know, this is obviously an oversupply. And there are people who are looking to purchase homes who can't afford to because these apartments are purchased by investors instead who are looking to turn a profit. Uh, so this, of course, just means the whole market gets driven up and people can't buy a home for themselves. Uh, it, it, you know, it's just not good for Australians all around, basically. Well, yeah, it's never good when people can't afford their own homes. Um, it's a basic living requirement to have a roof above your head. And I guess for a lot of people, like myself included, um, I think I'd feel a lot more comfortable knowing that I could just, no one can just kick me out of their, out of my home whenever they felt like it. That's correct. I mean, I myself as a 27-year-old who works in a professional career in, the, in, in Melbourne, basically it's, it's not even on the horizon for me. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, I wonder about other younger people like myself who would like to be able to buy their own homes, but just don't remember to. All right. Um, Luke, I, I really appreciate you talking to me and this has been a great conversation. I've really liked it and I hope pe anyone who listens to this finds it really interesting. So, yeah, thanks for your time, Luke. Great. Thank you very much. Hey, enjoy your night. Thanks, you too. Many thanks to Luke James for having a chat to me. This is Melbourne Public Radio. Thanks for listening.